let me ask you, have you ever started seeds at home? And what was your outcome? Were the seedlings leggy at all and maybe they look stretched? Or did you have some luck where your seedlings died? If these are some of the experiences that you have had, not anymore. Because today on episode one of the Sunshine Gardening podcast, I'm going to share secrets to growing seeds indoors successfully. I assure you that this information will make the difference, and I will promise that you can have healthier plants to transplant later into the garden. So stay with me to hear what secrets I have for starting seeds indoors for the Kentucky Garden. Welcome to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. This gardening show will equip and inspire avid gardeners with weekly tips and tricks to help them navigate the gardening world. The show will also highlight specific growing requirements for several plants so the sun will shine brighter over their Kentucky garden. And now, here is that ray of sunshine, garden enthusiast and horticulture extension agent, Kristen Hildebrand, with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Now, there's a lot of joy that comes with starting seeds. Starting seeds indoors can be a rewarding experience for a lot of gardeners. The thought of planting small seeds in the soil, watching them emerge each day, and handling the tiny seedlings, and then seeing them develop into young plants really is very rewarding. It almost warms your soul when you think about all the steps from start to finish. But when the time is conducive for planting outdoors, gardeners can transplant their seedlings into the ground to watch it grow and mature further into an adult plant. This process from seed to plant is pure satisfaction and gratification for avid home gardeners. Home gardeners are able to grow new and improved and unusual plant varieties that they might not find available even at local garden centers or nurseries. So, for instance, if you can't find an heirloom tomato variety called hillbilly potato leaf tomato, get your seed from another grower and grow it yourself. Gardeners can be some of the best sources for heirloom varieties as far as seed goes. And then another added benefit with starting seeds at home is that gardeners can reduce the amount of time required between planting and harvesting of at least four to eight weeks. Oh my gosh, this is music to my ears when you think of all the things as far as joys with starting seeds. Now, there's always some drawbacks or things to think about ahead of time. So while it's all fun as far as starting seeds indoors, it does require a little bit of time and effort and even some patience from gardeners on their end. So you will have to make sure that you uh, give regular term monitoring of transplants. Uh, That's very essential. You'll have to check your seedlings daily for water and to see if any additional fertilizer is required. A lot of times we get people that contact us here at the extension office and ask for additional information as far as fertilizer goes. So growing seeds at home does require even some additional equipment. And a couple of things that you will need is some grow lights, uh, maybe even a plant stand if you're growing several different plants and trays to support those plants, and possibly a timer system. And a lot of that cost is based on your needs, so make sure it fits your budget. So think about some of those things ahead of time before you actually invest or purchase anything. And you can always contact us here at the local extension office 
and that way we can kind of walk you through what's needed. So now that you understand some of the things that we're going to touch on and really some of the advantages and slight drawbacks with starting Seeds Indoors, let's cover more in depth those secrets that I was telling you about in the beginning. So with starting Seeds Indoors, there's always some things that you're going to have to have on hand. So let's just first talk about the seed. It's always so exciting when you think about starting uh, plants from seed, and I always recommend that you have some seed that is basically what your family really likes to um, eat and consume at home. So like if you love tomatoes, and let's just say that you love the Cherokee purple type tomato, make sure that you have that available to you. Now, Cherokee purple tomatoes are an heirloom variety, so you just want to make sure that you're able to save seed because heirloom varieties you have to save seed from each year. Now, if you're looking towards like maybe some more improved variety, say that they've got some sort of flavor that you're just really looking forward to, or it's something that's got a little bit more disease or insect resistance, you want to make sure you purchase that particular hybrid seed from a reputable seed company. And these seed companies are, again, reputable, and they really stand behind their product. And if you have any issues along the way with the seed, if it doesn't really do very well for you, then they can replace it uh, without there being a problem. A couple of the other things to think about with seeds besides heirloom versus hybrid is to make sure that those seed varieties are also well adapted to the area. So for here in Kentucky, we have some disease pressure. It's never a perfect world out there. So we're talking about, again, with tomatoes being the number one vegetable that everyone likes to grow, there's a lot of blight-type conditions that happen. And so if you want to not deal with some of those blight issues like septoria leaf blight or early blight, maybe even some late blight if it's in the area at the time, then you can go ahead and look for some of that um, that's listed on your seed packets. So if there is some kind of blight resistance with those uh, tomato plants, it will have it listed on the label. So that's just a little bit of an added benefit for you. Peppers can be the same way. Um, Versarium wilt is one that we have to worry about. So if you are interested in learning some maybe uh, recommended varieties that do well for our area here in Kentucky, I am going to put in the show notes a link to a publication that's called uh, Recommended Varieties for Kentucky Gardens, and that publication number is simply called ID133. Here in Kentucky, we always have some different publication numbers that are referenced with those publications, and so what you'll find in this one is that it's just going to list different vegetable cultivars that are suitable for here in Kentucky. Now, this one is done in 2013, and so there's probably some newer varieties that have come out So if you're getting starting into gardening, uh, this is really a good guide for you to check out and maybe even talk to some of your gardening friends to see what some of their varieties might be. So with any of these seeds, though, you want to make sure you pay particular attention to the the crop that you're growing, the cultivar, which is simply uh, what we call a cultivated variety. Uh, Also pay attention to the germination rate. Uh, Most of the time that's listed as a percentage And then also any chemical seed treatments, if there are any that are listed there. So if you happen to be saving those seed uh, from the best plants, if it's an heirloom variety, and say you've had it in storage for a little bit, 
just know that with some of those, they might not be as, the germination rate for those might not be as much. So um, you can still use those, but your germination rate will be a lot less unless you're buying new seed or maybe getting it off another gardener who just had it last year. So keep that in mind. Um, if it's a seed packet that you've bought in years past, you might want to look at that again. Um, and again, whatever that uh, germination rate says, then it's going to be just a little bit uh, less than that. Another thing to consider with your seed is to inspect your seed before even starting the process of sowing it into trays or whatever your container is going to be. And so sometimes you can really tell just by looking. Other times you might want to feel the seed a little bit to see if it's lost any weight. Most of the time, seeds that have been past their prime, they feel a little bit more light than some of the other ones that look like they um, aren't as shriveled, uh, things of that nature. So pay attention if you notice any shriveling of seeds or maybe the weight of it doesn't uh, feel so good you might want to go towards another package. And that's just simply with ones that you've had um, that you've kind of stockpiled that, you know, we got so excited at the beginning of the year and, you know, we just probably ordered a little bit too much. But that is very, very possible because they do a great job of marketing those seed catalogs very well. And they have really good eye-catching pictures. So don't feel bad um, if you had bought too much. But again, just want to look at that seed, maybe consider some things you might not have looked at before. So the next thing to look at as far as materials to have on hand for starting seeds is you want to make sure you have a light source. And a lot of gardeners that I talk to one-on-one at the extension office mentioned to me that they start their seeds in the windowsill. Well, in other areas of the United States, this area may be fine, But for here in Kentucky, we get poor results when you're starting seeds in the windowsill. So oftentimes we get what's, if we start them in the windowsill, we actually get leggy stretched seedlings because they're stretching to the light because they don't have enough light. So the way to make it a stronger, healthier, stockier plant is to buy an artificial lighting system. And so you're probably thinking, Kristen, what what all do I need to buy? Well, there's a couple of different options, and it goes back again to your budget. So think about how much you want to spend. I wouldn't say go cheap on your artificial lighting system, but maybe you spend a little bit less, but you don't want to spend less on the actual bulbs. You might want to go less on some of the stands that you can buy, or maybe you can improvise um, on something else. So a couple of the different bulbs that you would want to look for in the store or even through a garden catalog, uh, there's a couple of different options. So the first one is that you can use a cool white fluorescent lamp alone. So it's just straight cool white fluorescent lamps. You can also use a mixture of a cool white and a warm white fluorescent lamp. Or again, you can use a mixture of a cool white and even a plant growth fluorescent lamp. And all of these are acceptable. I think the main takeaway from this is that you really do need to have an artificial lighting source. Again, we don't recommend using the windowsill just because we get more of a stretched and leggy type seedling. So make sure that you look and some places will have higher prices. Other places will have a little bit lower prices. So really shop around um, and see what's out there before you make your purchase. 
And, you know, if there's low grade and high grade, maybe you can stick to somewhere in the middle. The other thing to consider with your light source is the position of the lamp. So whenever you're starting seedlings, um, they're going to start out, you know, after they germinate, they're going to be a little bit lower and then they're going to keep on growing. And so what we want to do is to make sure we've got that light source right above the developing seedlings. So you'll have to position that lamp, whatever lamp source you're using, about five to 10 inches above the foliage. And as it grows, you're going to be able to raise it depending on how tall your actual seedlings get. So you might want to look, if you're doing multiple trays of seedlings, you can get maybe a chain system where it's got some S-hooks that are connected to that, and you can easily raise and lower if you're starting and, you know, maybe beginning a new thing of trays as far as seeds go. Now, the other thing is, is how long should you run these lights? Well, it's always best, and it always goes back to what you're growing, but what we generally recommend for most vegetables is to operate that light source for about 12 to 18 hours per day. And, you know, to even take the guesswork out of it a little bit more, we even will recommend uh, a good timer system that you can add to that lighting and that way it's just going to automatically kick on and off for you. A lot of times you can find those uh, light timers, you know, at some of your big box stores. It's kind of like uh, your lamps. You can connect that and it'll kick your light on and off depending on when you're going to be in your home. And so with your, your actual seedlings that you're starting, that timer system will take a lot of the guesswork out of did it get really 12 to 18 hours of light and I forgot to turn it off because plants do require so many hours of light and so many hours of dark. So you want to make sure that you're providing that and an easy way to do that is to invest in a little timer system and just put that in and then plug it into the wall. So that way it's done just basically automatically for you. Now the general temperature that we're wanting to achieve when you're starting your seedlings is anywhere from about 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. And this is just going to achieve really a strong, sturdy growth after your germination occurs. So if you want to, sometimes people will even put, to give more of that, they'll put a light, not a light system over above, but they'll also put like a warming mat or a germination mat underneath it so that way that they can keep the temperature right where they need to above the seedling and then the bottom which is helping with uh, the root system getting it going and making sure that you've got good germination. So if that's something that you want to invest in again that's completely up to you as a gardener and again what fits your budget. So now you've gotten your seed ready to go you've gotten the artificial lighting system the next thing we need to talk about is the soil that is ideal for starting seeds. So a good desirable soil medium for starting seeds really has to have a couple of high quality characteristics to it. So the first thing is that it needs to be loose and that just allows the the seedling to get started. It also needs to be a well-drained media mix and it also needs to be kind of a fine textured media mix. So a lot of the times uh, people will want to buy um, potting soil mixture and so The thing that I like to advise to a lot of people that ask me that question is generally for starting seeds, you want something that's a little bit lighter 
than just the regular potting soil mixture that you have out in the garden center. And so with a germination mix, which is really ideal for most seedlings, it's going to be a lot lighter. And so it's perfect for even those small seeded uh, vegetables or even flower seeds. They're going to be able to, you know, come up through the soil a lot easier than if they were in like a heavier potting soil mixture. That's really more ideal for, you know, probably two to four week old transplants or even a lot older than that. So I would tell you to lean more on the germination mix. And again, it'll provide you with those characteristics that we need. It's going to be loose. It's going to be well drained. And it's also going to have that fine texture to it. The thing also to look at is that you always want to buy this new each year. So we want you or we encourage you guys to make sure it's fresh. Uh, it's not something that you've recycled or used the, even the year before. Now, if you got it where you didn't use all of it from last year, that's kind of a different story. But if it's something uh, that you ran out of and you just need to make sure you go ahead and buy, buy new. And the thing about that is that sterile is really what we're looking for. And sterile with any kind of germination mix or potting soil mixture, it just simply means that it's been cooked off of all the disease or insect-causing organisms that can really mess up or detriment even your seed starting um, success rate. So just make sure that you buy fresh every year and you buy a good germination mix. Um, and some of those mixes will have different soil media particles to them. And if you're curious as to what they have, just read on the label there. And it'll tell you things like, oh, I, it's got vermiculite to it. It could have some perlite. Uh, perlite's really, really good for drainage. And the perlite is just simply those little white speckles that you see in your germination mix or even your soil media mix if you go into that as far as potting soil mixtures later. So um, again, we really don't want a whole lot of fertilizer at this point. Uh, the germination mix uh, will not have any of that. So because really the seeds have enough of their supply in their seeds as far as food goes. Usually you generally don't need that until after it's already germinated that you need to add a little bit of fertilizer. So again, we're putting in an extra plug there for germination mixes. So I hope that's uh, pretty straightforward on the soil media that's preferred for starting seeds. Next, I want to move into uh, containers. And so with containers, we get a lot of questions as to what's better or best. So really with containers, starting seeds, they need to be sterile again. And that just simply means it's cooked off of everything that could be harmful, like pathogens as far as disease goes, or insects or even weed pressure. If you've got containers that you've used before, like in years past, that's fine to do that. But what we recommend is that you go through a three-step process. With the three-step process, the first step is just washing those containers off with soapy water. So make sure that you use warm, soapy water. And it's always handy to have a brush so that way that you can get into those crevices and really clean in those areas where maybe some dirt might be or even some diseases that have been left over before in years past. So after you've washed those areas off with uh, warm soapy water, go ahead and rinse it. 
And then I always like to put it out in the sun and let it bake for a little bit because that just cleans off anything else that still may be left there. And then the third step is just to basically sanitize that particular container. So what you'll do in the sanitizing step is you're going to take about a 10% bleach solution. So what that all involves is you're going to take nine parts water to one part bleach, mix that up really good, and then apply it to your container. You want to make sure you protect your hands with some gloves so that way um, it doesn't end up hurting your hands because it does have that bleach solution in it. So that's really, really important step if you have you're planning on using containers that you've used in years past but there's a couple of different choices that you have to choose from whenever it comes to different containers so the first one that's probably the most common is like plastic trays uh, or even wooden flats but these uh, make plants that are easy to transplant so they can be seated directly into those trays or flats for later transplanting into individual packs or pots Uh, with wider spacings in the flats. So start your seeds um, in such containers really does help save on space when compared with seeding directly into individual pots. So that's a good option, especially if you have more than one. The second option that you have a lot of people like to use is called peat pots. Now these peat pots are biodegradable pots. They're either made from peat or paper waste fibers. And these can be purchased individually or in strips or even in blocks. A couple of pluses with the peat pots, they're very porous. They provide excellent drainage and air circulation to the root zone. And then the best part is that it can be simply, the entire pot can be planted wherever you want it to go, whether it be out in the raised beds or even in your conventional garden space. So those are good things to consider with peat pots. The third option that you can find is called compressed peat pellets. So before hydration, these peat pellets are packed usually in more than one. And so they're about the size of a silver dollar, but they're a little bit thicker than what a silver dollar would be. And then when you place these into water, they're gonna swell and form a cylindrical net-like container with peat moss, and it makes it perfect for ready to go for seeding or transplanting. And these also can be planted straight into the garden. So that way you don't have any transplant shock going from one container into the next. It's just simply all still there gathered up. So after gathering up all the materials that you need, now is the fun part. It's time to finally get your hands dirty. We're going to talk next about proper planting techniques in order to ensure that your seeds actually come up very um, uniformly and successfully for you as the home gardener. So step one is really easy. You just want to go ahead and moisten your germination media mix. I like to use either a big wheelbarrow and put the media mix, open it up uh, and let it spill out into the particular wheelbarrow. And then I just take a water hose and then just put a little bit of water and start mixing it with my hands. If you don't want to do that, wherever you have your garden space designated, uh, sometimes people have like a certain area that's outside. Maybe it's underneath some sort of shelter that they do that. Wherever's comfortable, make sure that you have like either a big wash tub to mix and incorporate these water and soil particles together, or you can simply just do it right into your container if you like. 
I always like to do it ahead of time so that way I've got plenty of space in order to move those the soil and the water around. Now, a lot of people will ask, you know, how much do I need to apply as far as water? How do I know how much water to apply? So the thing to test for is that you can form the soil into a ball and then if it crumbles readily after you press it with your index finger, then you know it's perfect for planting your seeds into. Now, if you punch it with your index finger and it still stays formed into a ball, you probably want to go ahead and incorporate a little bit more dry soil material. And then if you feel like you need to, a little bit of water. But just kind of feel for it with your hands. And that's always a good test to use. So after you moisten your germination media mix, go ahead and fill that container to about three-fourths inch to the top with your soil media mix. I always like to use a, a clean board or something to kind of level off the germination media mix and then gently tap it onto a table so that way you can take out any excess air bubbles that might have gotten worked into it. Now in step two, if you are seeding into the tray or flat that we talked about, you're going to take a ruler or you can even take a large wooden plant label uh, and make shallow rows about one to two inches apart. If you're only using one variety of seed mix or seed variety, go ahead and scatter that or broadcast it over the entire soil surface. But if you've got different seeds that you want to keep separate, then you want to make sure that you label those accordingly with the name of the cultivar. So that way you keep up with what you've uh, planted and don't get it mixed up. So go ahead and use that plant label. In step three, the best way to sow these seeds uniformly and thinly in the row and the way to accomplish that especially for small seeded type seeds drop them slowly into the row by first tapping the seed package evenly over the row and then make sure again that you label with a plant label at the end of the row to help distinguish what that particular plant type is the variety and then make sure to put the date that you actually uh, started sowing the seeds because that's always good to jot that information into a garden type journal. Now with the, those large seeded type vegetables like cucumbers or cantaloupe and watermelon, you can plant those directly into your containers. Uh, even those peat pots or the compressed uh, peat pellets work great. Other seeds you might have to handle this way uh, to save the gardener on transplanting. So again, that makes a transplant shock a lot less. So that's an added benefit with those large seeded vegetable type crop plants. Now in step five, we're just going to simply cover up the seeds with a dry vermiculite or a milled sphagnum moss. And the depth of the covering really goes back to the size of the seed that you're using. So think about some of your fine seeds like lettuce and petunia seeds. They actually do need light to help them germinate, so you don't necessarily have to cover those up. As a general rule, though, seeds other than those fine seeds should be covered to about a depth of two times their diameter. Again, make sure you cover, especially um, not the fine seeds, but the ones that are a lot larger, to a depth about two times their diameter. And you can kind of see that on the, the seed label that you've actually on the package and you can kind of see if you want to double check yourself which is totally fine. Now in step six we're simply going to moisten that surface of the media with a fine mist 
And you can accomplish that with a spray bottle of water. And then in step seven, you're just going to place the seeded container in a warm location under grow lights for germination. A lot of times people will want to do this in their basement. If you don't have a basement, you can also look to maybe your garage because these areas aren't so climate controlled. Uh, They get a little bit uh, cooler, but you can really set up the temperature just right with your actual lighting system. And again, if you're using um, like an actual grow mat underneath there. Step eight is just simply inspecting uh, those seeds daily for germination. And seeds can be quickly killed if they're allowed to dry out in between, um, if they're not, you know, closely monitored for moisture. So watch closely for development. Um, If you need to go ahead and apply some moisture with like a water mist through your water bottle. And if there's any type of disease like dampening off, you can really kind of, if you notice that ahead of time, you can really take care of that. So those are the proper steps, um, you know, for sowing your seeds properly. Now let's get into the other successful seed starting tips to help keep those plants looking nice and healthy. I get a lot of questions uh, related to fertilization. So if you think about it, most of these seeds will have some plant food already in the particular seeds itself. So when it gets to a certain point, like after it really germinates, that's the time that's crucial for fertilization. And so at that point, it's really best, I always recommend to use a soluble houseplant fertilizer And you can pick these up at a garden center or a nursery that you like to shop at or even um, in those big department stores that are in the plant supply sections of those stores. I generally will recommend um, the half strength or going using the half strength of the fertilizer a few days after those seedlings have germinated. And then after that, you can go ahead and fertilize according to the recommendations listed on the fertilizer label. Just make sure you apply plenty of water and fertilizer uh, carefully. And again, make sure you look back to your particular label for the fertilizer on knowing how much to apply for the rates and things like that. Moisture is probably the most crucial of any of these steps, really. Um, You just want to make sure you do maintain adequate water when it's necessary for those plants uh, to stay healthy. You don't want them to dry out at all especially with the wilting that's probably the the worst part it's okay to for the seeds to dry out a little bit but when you see the wilting that could have detrimental effects so just try to avoid that at all cost Uh, we do recommend that you thin out your seedlings after they germinate so that way you're providing plenty of light available nutrients and water to the other developing seedlings um, and you want to make sure you do that in the row because it's easy for those small seed seeded crops uh, to get really jumbled up in their row very easily. The final thing to remember as far as successful tips when you're starting your seeds indoors is a process known as hardening off. And this, if you've never heard of the word before, I'll give you the definition What hardening off involves is you're exposing those transplants to cooler temperatures and you're also giving them a little bit less fertilizer and water to help toughen them up. 
So you want to begin this process about two weeks before planting in the garden. And if possible, you can move those plants to a shady outdoor location with cooler temperatures. And a good structure for that, if you have one, is a cold frame. That's an excellent location for allowing those transplants to really harden off. So the way to do um, the hardening off process is that uh, you want to expose them a little bit each day for two weeks and you increase that every day so that way that you're working up to them being outdoors a full 24 hours. So for example, you'll for day one, you'll expose them about an hour and then day two, you'll expose them a little bit longer, say about an hour and a half to two hours and then gradually keep increasing that um, and then backing off again with the fertilizer and the water. Because when you think about these seedlings, you're providing everything that they need. You're providing the water when it's needed. You are also providing how much light you're controlling that. And then when they go outdoors, they have a lot of transplant shock. So it's really crucial and important that you do follow the hardening off process step. And generally with this, we want you to avoid putting those tender seedlings outdoors on windy days or when the temperature might drop below 45 degrees because you know here in Kentucky that you know every day is different and the weather may change completely different from what it was the day before. So just make sure that you uh, pay attention to what the weatherman is saying so that way you kind of avoid something that might end up hurting those. And then after you've hardened off these plants the transplants will really be great outdoors and then light frost won't be an issue either so there you have it folks we've talked about all the materials that you need to get started in seeds uh, starting those seeds indoors and then we've also covered the proper steps that you need to follow and then even touched on some other successful tips that are important when you're starting your seeds indoors successfully so if you would like some additional information on starting seeds indoors I highly recommend that you pick up a copy of our Home Vegetable Gardening Guide in Kentucky. This publication is numbered ID 128, and it's really just great for walking through all aspects of Kentucky vegetable gardening. So like we actually cover getting started, some intensive techniques that you need to be aware of as far as like container gardening or raised bed gardening, and even disease and insect control. All that's covered in this guide. And we even have growing profiles that are even mentioned from asparagus all the way to zucchini. So for a link to this guide, make sure you see the show notes. And I really hope that you enjoyed this first episode of the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. To see our show notes for episode one and any additional resources mentioned from today's show, please follow me at the blog at Warren County Agriculture. You can find that by going to www.warrencountyagriculture.com. Feel free to leave any questions that you might have or make any additional comments in the blog or contact me directly via email at kristen.gooden at uky.edu. If you can, I would love it if you would leave me a review on iTunes to help me just know what your thoughts were about the show, how we can improve, or maybe some other future episodes that you would like to hear covered on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. 
Again, make sure you tune in with me for more gardening information each week right here on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Each week, I do plan to share seasonal gardening tips and tricks to help gardeners reach their gardening goals and to help the sun shine a little brighter over your Kentucky garden. Stay up to date on all the latest episodes by hitting the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, or there's also a subscribe button on the blog at Warren County Agriculture. Make sure you keep on digging into gardening and remember to add that little bit of sunshine. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast with Kristen Hildebrand. If you enjoyed today's content, make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to catch future segments of the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Gardeners, keep on digging and learning more about gardening so the sun shines brighter over your Kentucky garden. The Sunshine Gardening Podcasts with Kristen Hildebrand is a production of the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service.